Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And uh, when, I, when I wake up in the morning, I, I usually uh, try to capture my dreams uh, and, and write. And so today, uh, this, this poem, I think, came to me, uh, just sort of reflecting on, on Memorial Day weekend, uh, reflecting on on, you know, people who made the ultimate sacrifice, you know, gave their lives for our country, and also reflecting on uh, this uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, which concludes on Memorial Day. It's like, wow, how interesting. And I'm also reflecting on having this conversation, uh, having a conversation this morning with um, uh, Dio, Docio Habib, uh, Habib, who um, is one of our veterans, uh, and and he's he's on the line right now with you, um, sort of thinking like, what is she going to share? <laughs> so so anyway, good morning, uh, <laughs> uh, Diodosio, and um, uh, author of memoirs in the moment, and we're going to talk about your book and your your walk through um, PTSD into. Um, wellness that you're going to share with us shortly. Thank you. So good morning. Thank you. Good morning and thank you for having me on the show. I'm, I'm honored to be here and I'm, I'm looking forward to some dialogue. It should be a lot of interesting uh, information and it should be very uh, illuminating. So thank you for having mm. me. I appreciate it. Oh, you're quite welcome. We've been trying to make this happen for a minute. So, you know, all things in good time. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So the piece is entitled um, Good Death. The Vietnam War is one of those wars one never forgets. Lots of young lives taken and other lives, other young lives ruined. Young families permanently impacted. Lots of people returned to later end up incarcerated on the street. We step over so many wasted lives. War is bad. Good for the economy, bad news everywhere else. Like pollution, it colors a nation's horizon. The blues give way too bloody. Some say war is bad yet necessary. Some say death and battle is honorable except for those whose remains are dust. A flag draped over closed tombs or folded and handed to a weeping mom or wife or sister or brother. Taps the eternal heartbeat that marks the end of life before it starts. We don't speak of trauma the generational trauma that seeps into the pores of survivors. More insidious than Agent Orange, it contaminates a genetic pool, leaching into the fragments left or broken lives pieced together with glue, ill-equipped to hold suppressed memories at bay. The memories march forward on open landscapes, a gruesome promenade to darkness, a coup. Hawks circle, buzzards dive, Viens tempt vultures who pause mid-dive and retreat. Forks and knives scattered as cloths fan and disappear on horizon. The future a much better place than now. The problem is the two share the same road. What do we do with those haunting memories that assault us in our dreams? Alcohol, heroin, marijuana, nothing stops the memories except death. And even then, who knows? Some say they see these dead still walking. Even with eyes shut, 
Their souls pace barren battlefields. Guilt, a perpetual reverie. So that's what I wrote this morning. Wow. That's, and, that's, uh, that's this morning. Wow. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah, and... Hmm. Yeah, and I, and I wanna I wanna dedicate that to you, um, you know, uh, our veteran, and and to your comrades and to all of those on the battlefield right now, because we're still at war. This country seems to always still be at war. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Heartfelt and, yeah. and greatly appreciated. Thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. So you were born in 1963. Uh, yes. Yodosio Habib, and you served honorably in the United States Marine Corps and the United States Air Force. Like, whoa. Like both of them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you do that? I mean, it, it was, it was um, you know, I, I did the Marine Corps first, and, you know, after I got out, um, which I talk a little bit about in the book, I wasn't quite ready for the civilian world, and I faced some challenges, and I knew that I needed to get to a place where I could get more education, and one way for me of doing that was to go into the Air Force. So I went to the Air Force. I did three years there as well, which was really interesting. Uh, it helped to get me to where I needed to get to to, to move forward. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, it was all about using leveraging service to better my life, and of course this was before I understood that I was living with PTSD. So it wasn't as effective as I was hoping it would be. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and you earned degrees in film and entertainment business from the Los Angeles Film School, which is pretty well known. And uh, and you have a history of working in community around health care concerns. Uh, your book, yeah. Memoirs in the Moment, tells a candid and revealing story of the intersection of life and trauma and sheds light on how to move forward in, oh, to move forward uh, in spite of inner resistance. Um, you, uh, you write here in your um, about mm-hmm. Uh, in your book, that having lived with PTSD for three decades, that sounds like half, mm-hmm. more more than half your life, because you probably yeah. enlisted when you were really really young. Um, yes. Before uh, before finally going to the Veterans Administration for help, and your mm-hmm. book shares the journey from innocence to devastation to becoming self aware, and finding new happiness. So, yeah. Um, your book um it's it's really um it's really beautiful and uh you got Thank some you. nice illustrations, photos of you, you know, in your in your your officer outfit with all the medals <laughs> and things like that and <laughs> and um and you and you know, you write about you know, mistakes that you made, um and yes. and you know, some things that are pretty devastating that you can't undo. Uh, particularly, you know, I really um, appreciated, you know, what you what you um, shared around what happened with you and your mom, and yeah, and, yeah, and some choices you made that, you know, you couldn't you couldn't undo, um, which had devastating um, impact on on your your loved ones. Yeah, yeah, so I don't know where you want to start, but maybe you might want to start with um, 
sort of how you came to to want to share this story um, after, you know, sort of coming into a better state of mental health after you recognized yeah. that you had been impacted like this. Uh, maybe you might want to start about, like, what is war and, and that particular battle that just changed everything in your young life? Sure. That, so, so and thank you again. It's a great, great intro. Um, so I enlisted in the Marine Corps when I was 17 years old. I graduated from high school when I was 16, and um, I, had, I was actually going to college at the time uh, when I was uh, when I enlisted. Um, and I I didn't like college at that point in time for two reasons. One because I was walking to school, and it was quite cold. It was a long walk. Uh, we were still quite impoverished at the time. And so it was very difficult getting forward. And the other reason was I went to college with the expectation that I would be around more mature young folk. Uh, Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. I was still a rather small guy. I was probably 5'6 when I graduated, weighed about 120 pounds or so. So I was a little fella, and I didn't quite belong to uh, in the college environment because, of course, I – I was a little father, and I looked like I was maybe 13, 14 years old. So it was interesting for me. Uh, long story short, though, one of my best friends from school had gone into the Marine Corps, and I happened to come across him when he had come home on leave. And the difference I saw in him was astonishing to me. And the moment I saw him and we, we had some words, I realized that this was the path I wanted to take. So I went to the Marine Corps. Young, naive, didn't know anything about uh, other culture, other community, about warfare, about service. I just knew it was a way out of poverty for myself. Two years later, I'm 19 years old. I get sent on a deployment to the Mediterranean. Uh, The United States was serving as part of a multinational peacekeeping force in Beirut, Lebanon in 83 to try and create enough space so that the local community could build itself up, support itself, defend itself, so on and so forth. Our rules of engagement required that we did not, we were not allowed to fire upon any perceived enemy unless there was a direct immediate threat. That translated to we will be uh, in the area with M16s but with no ammunition. Uh, the purpose why we were there I thought was a noble and worthy one, trying to help uh, create space so that a country could grow and mature and, and support itself. Um, but we got caught up in some bureaucracy then that ultimately meant we were thought to be sitting ducks. Uh, so on October 23rd at 6.22 in the morning, um, we had the primary group was at the uh, base landing team building, the BLT building, which was a, an old hotel. Uh, a terrorist bomb, a terrorist drove in with a truck with about 22,000 pounds of explosives and pretty much leveled the building. As a result of that, I was exposed to the real carnage of war. And as a result of that, I uh, acquired uh, PTSD. Uh, so 
And, of course, I didn't know it. I wasn't aware. We just did what we were supposed to do. We, we went in and retrieved uh, fellow Marines, uh, any uh, remains, any personal items we could find. Uh, we ended up going and getting fired upon and so on and so forth. We went into safeguard uh, or retrieve that uh, that equipment or those personal items. Uh, so I went about my regular duty. I ended up leaving the Marine Corps maybe um, less than two years afterwards. Um, the moment that all this happened uh, changed me. Uh, by the time I returned from the cruise from Beirut to my normal duty station, I was a different person. Um, my my demeanor had changed. Um, I was angry. Uh, just felt like there were so many threats around. I was always on alert, which means I always had this really bad attitude. I remember one time when I came home uh, to visit a mom, uh, my younger brother was there, and uh, he kind of watched me from afar. And I remember he pulled me out, and I, and I write about this in the book. He pulled me out, uh, put, put, came out to talk to me one day. He said, I, something is wrong. You're not the same person. You, 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 you're acting like you're crazy. Uh, and, you know, at that point, I was in complete denial. Uh, so my, my position was, no, it's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with everyone else. So 30 years later, after going through many ups and downs, fair relationships, homelessness, uh, there were good times too, but mostly everything was clouded by this sense of impending doom, this sense of fear, this sense of uh, unmitigated anger that was just completely running me. It was completely overwhelming me. Uh, and I realized um, at one point in time, my wife, I had had a, um, a nightmare one night, and my wife was able to convince me uh, that she had noticed this before and that maybe it's time for me to go out and, and talk to someone to try and figure it out and get some support. Uh, which I reluctantly did, and, and I'm forever grateful that I actually did that because now 10 years later after repeated therapy and support, um, I've come to understand what it is, how it has impacted me, and I've also come to see a lot of the similarities that people have, even if you never served, uh, with the trauma and how the trauma uh, induces certain behaviors within people. So now what I've done is I've decided, because the other problem with PTSD or mental illness is that we don't want to talk about it. We feel that there's, there's something wrong with having these discussions or we're showing a weakness. My experience has proven to me that when you talk about it, you actually uh, uh, free yourself from the bonds of quiet, of silence, and you actually liberate yourself uh, and allow yourself to move forward in life. And that doesn't mean that I go out and talk to everyone about my personal information. What that does mean is after writing the book, I felt a certain liberation and things that I were, was afraid of sharing with other people, those fears went away. Uh, so what ends up happening is that now I'm speaking with other organizations, other agencies about it, 
the book has been well received. Um, I try to be very honest, uh, and I try to. I wrote it in such a way where I want to try and get people to actually feel the experience that I was feeling, that I was going through, so that we can connect at an emotional level. And I'm just really honest about it. Uh, with regard to the one chapter that you just mentioned, that's called I'm Sorry, Mom. Um, and I won't go into a lot of the details. I want to encourage people to get the book. But basically speaking, as a result of my PTSD and where I was mentally, I did something that I felt was a disgrace to my family. And I feel now that my goal and my purpose in life is to try and recover that uh, and fix that situation. So the book is full of real-life examples of how PTSD has manifested in my life. And more importantly, it's about how after I began to really work on myself, I learned to overcome the impact PTSD has on me. Now, that's not to say that I'm free of PTSD. That doesn't happen. Once you have it, you have it. So the challenge we have is to figure out how we as individuals can learn to manage it in such a way that we are not preventing ourselves from our goals. Uh, one of the saddest things about it is that if you don't manage PTSD, it will manage you, and it will put you in an, a spiral, a downward spiral in life that will indeed cause you to, to have hardship. Uh, but the good news, again, is that with the right kind of support, you can learn to manage it. Um, and each person is different. Um, one of the other things I've learned as I began this, this, this investigation and as I started writing the book is, by large, women tend to suffer the most as a result of PTSD, whether directly or indirectly. What does that mean? Well, that means in any group of, let's say, 100 people, four people, four men will have PTSD. Ten women are likely to have PTSD. So just on from the standpoint of a sampling of 100 people, women tend to have more trauma-related activity in their life than men. And ultimately what that means is in any group of, say, 13 people, uh, and the, the way they did their measurements is pretty interesting, but any group of 13 people, at least one of these people are going to have PTSD. So ultimately that means that people who are living with trauma, whether it's managed or unmanaged, they're all around. They're everywhere we go. They're in the stores. Uh, they're in the churches. They're in the schools. They're in our places of work. They're everywhere. So my purpose with the book is to, number one, eliminate the stigma associated with PTSD. Okay, I have PTSD. That doesn't mean I'm a bad person. That just means I have PTSD. And so my whole purpose is to eliminate that stigma stigma and to become the voice of positive and, and, and meaningful dialogue around this matter so that hopefully, and so that as we talk about it, we can build, up, build ourselves up individually, which ultimately means we build our community up. Um, I had a conversation with a gentleman a few days ago, and he mentioned to me, he, the question he asked was, well, did I think that there's any correlation between PTSD or mental illness and suicide? 
And my response to him was absolutely. I would dare to say that anyone who commits suicide is doing so as a result of a traumatic event that happened in their life. So that action is a PTSD-related action. Now, I'm going to preface this by also saying I'm not a mental health professional, not a therapist, I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist. I am an expert on what has happened in my life. I am able to speak truth about the things that have happened in my life and my reasons behind it because I've done the work to illuminate what's going on within my own self, and fortunately I've been able to, uh, to, to be able to write these things down where people can actually read, see themselves in it uh, or their loved one, uh, and then respond to it in a positive way. So that's the genesis of the book. And I thought, you know, the, the one, one other thing I thought is years ago my brother, who was the first to tell me that something was wrong so many years ago, so many decades ago, years ago he told me that I should write a book about my life because that's a story. And, of course, at that time I, I didn't see it as such and I, I wasn't really ready for that, and so I brushed it off. So now here today, as since I've written the story, I'm finding that indeed he was correct. There is a thirst for the information that I'm ha that I'm providing, and it's, it's I provide it in such a way that it really can help people, uh, and that's really the purpose. If I can help just one person realize, wait a minute, these are some of the same things that are happening to me. Maybe I need to look into this a little differently, or take the next step to get better. If I can do that for just one person, then my job, my purpose, my calling would have been met. And that's what this is all about, just helping to raise awareness, helping to encourage people to, number one, realize that, number one, just because you have been exposed to a traumatic experience, that does not mean you're a bad person. That just means a good person who was exposed to a traumatic experience. And unfortunately, now because of that, we have to learn to manage ourselves out of the emotional duress and the behaviors that make uh, uh, that seem to bring us further down in life once we've been exposed to trauma. Uh, and so that's really what it's all about. Um, I try to be very honest. I'm very open. I'm really interested in, in, in responding to questions that people ask about PTSD or mental illness. Uh, and ultimately it's about making sure people know it's, you're not a bad person. You're a good person, you're a great person, you have the potential of realizing any dream you have, regardless of how long you've not dealt with or not managed your PTSD or your trauma-related um, behaviors. Regardless of that, you still can overcome it and you still can live a fuller life. And that's really what it's all about, uh, being able to articulate that in such a way that people can act or can start thinking more about their own behaviors uh, and move forward. Mm. Yeah, well, we're definitely going to have a part two to this conversation. It's so rich. Um, but I was wondering, um, we're, we're um, kind of uh, almost at the end of our, our time together, and so I'm going to give you a choice to, to talk about mindfulness, um, which is one of yeah. the strategies that you use to, um, I guess, uh, manage uh, PTSD because from what I just heard you say is something that uh, you're never really over um, these, no. these memories and, and, and how they sit, you know, in, in your Definitely. psyche. 
and and come yes. out in, in in your body <laughs> uh, yes. and in your exactly. you know your thoughts. I'm I'm thinking thoughts and mind all being a part of the same yeah. body. Um, yeah. So I know you, you. We talked about this week because we've had several conversations about about memoirs in the moment. Um, but then I had a question about about your name, and and you know we didn't um, mention that that you grew up in the South, that you are a Southerner, but then you've lived yes. all over the United States too. Like you know, your dad was what in in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah <laughs> um, but, in New but, Jersey. Yeah. Yeah, but but you but you also um, your mother raised you, um, and mm-hmm. you came to know your dad out of choice. So there's some father loss in there, and then we talked about. Some of the, you know, the social traumas that sort of get stirred into the pot of being an American mm-hmm. and being a person mm-hmm. of African descent in this America. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so those are some things that we're not going to be able to necessarily go into any depth around, but maybe next time. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, I can touch on my name and mindfulness real quick if we have time for that. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh huh. Yeah, so, we have so, like five minutes. <laughs> okay, I'll be I'll be as quick as possible. My name first. So my name is Didocio Habi. Uh, Didocio is Latin. Habi is English. Didocio means to cause to unlearn. Habi is short for habit. So to cause to unlearn habit. So my calling, my purpose in life, is to first and foremost unlearn negative, derogatory, or unhealthy habits that I've introduced or allowed in my life so that I can realize a fuller life. And then, of course, as I in, in the work that I do in community, whether it's a book or whether it's bringing some people together to talk about a social issue, my whole purpose is to share information in such a way that they can unlearn a derogatory, unhealthy, uh, habits that they've held on to that get in the way of their future growth and success. So that's my name. As far as mindfulness is concerned, well, um, I need one to of the interrupt things... you there. I need to interrupt yes. you. Sorry. Okay. Wow, how intentional is that? Like, wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's big intention. Um, you know, because um, with your new name, um, you know, all of the, you know, your your accolades as as a soldier, you know, uh, in the military. They're not there, um, you know. Right. Um, yeah, and and you do have, you know, you you're you know you an officer, <laughs> and you got some accolades. So I was wondering, can you tell people sort of like your other name, um, which um, oh, yeah. shows up? The, yeah. So the name that I was born with is Wayne McCoy. I really use. I never. I, as, as a matter of fact, one of the reasons that I changed my name, and I did it legally, just FYI for the audience out there. The reason I changed it was because, um, as a result of the PTSD, and I actually wasn't aware of it at the time this occurred, but I did not like who I was. I did not like that that guy Wayne McCoy. I just did not like him. He did not represent who I was. He did not represent my best self. And so for that reason, I decided that I had to find a name that represented who I was as a human being and, and it would help me get to my destiny in life. So that's, that's the story there. Um, quickly, with, um, with regard to the mindfulness piece, so one of the things I learned in uh, therapy was that the, the best way to make sure that you sustain your, your trauma-related behavior is to run away from it to act like it doesn't exist, because what you're doing is you're actually feeding it. 
So with mindfulness, when I realize that I'm either getting anxious or I'm already, I've already crossed the line and now I'm very angry about something that I perceive as a threat, is to stop what I'm doing, find a place where I can get away from everyone, and sit still and start focusing on my breathing to anchor myself in the moment. Once I can anchor myself in the moment, then I can ask myself a simple question. Is this fear or this threat that I perceive that has popped into my head, is it real? And 99 times, 99% of the time, the threat is not real. It's a perceived threat that's based on a fear that I had that was based on a real threatening situation I, I, I went through that, that really has been amplified within me, and now I'm, I'm, I have to learn to recognize it when it occurs so that I can take the steps I need to take to, to, anch- to anchor myself in the present and be able to focus on moving forward. Well, thank you. Thank you so much um, for joining us today, uh, Theodosia. Um, you know, to talk about, you know, memoirs in the moment. And how do people get their copies of the book? And how do they get yeah. in touch with you? So, actually, uh, we've made it real easy. You can go to memoirs, M E M O I R S, dot work, W O R K. And on the website, you'll find helpful information that you can use right now if you have questions about what's going on within you. And then towards the bottom, you also have a place where you can purchase your book. We also have an ebook version as well, so we're not limited to just soft copy. You can go to ebook as, as well. And there's also con- a contact form on that website as well. Once you submit that, I get the email, and, and now we can communicate. If someone needs to reach out to me, they can find me at 661-434-0730. Again, 661-434-0730. And we do also have a Facebook page. It's memoirs.org. Okay, excellent, excellent. All righty. Well, have a wonderful, wonderful weekend, and... um, and thank you, thank you so much for the work, um, you know, on yourself that has, um, you know, resonates, you know, with our community um, because uh, literally um, your wellness is, is our wellness, and yeah. and so your your story is our story story, and and like your brother said, you know, it's important. You know, we all have important yeah. stories, and and but we all don't get a chance to put them to paper. So it's really right. great that that you were able to do so, and and since you're Thank a filmmaker, you. who knows? I'm sure there's probably a movie in the works, if not already. Yeah, we we're we're working on the. We actually have one script already, and I'm actually now looking at writing another script directly based on the book. So mm-hmm. we we're looking at doing a lot of really interesting things going forward. And and just quickly, I want to say this. So there are so many different layers to this that I do think that it's worthy of having more conversation because you mentioned father loss, you mentioned social trauma, there's racism, and all these different things that we deal with as society. Each Mm -hmm. of these different things can induce trauma 
which ultimately can lead to PTSD, which ultimately means that we have a broken society because trauma is driving us in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true, so true. Well, people, uh, yeah, so to be in your bodies and and monitor your breath. That's we it. do have yeah, choices, yeah, even when you feel yeah. like you don't have one. That's right. Yeah. That's, That's really Mm-hmm. All right. You take good care. Until thank next you. Time. You too, and thank you for the opportunity. You have a wonderful day. You too. Peace and blessings. Peace and blessings. Good morning, Don. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing very well. Lovely listening to you, and good to talk to you again, Wanda. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. You are such a busy woman. I'm just reading, like, a little bit of what you're up to as uh <laughs> You know, co-director of this new work at um, Oakland uh, Theater Project, which is opening, is it opening this weekend? It opens this weekend. Yes, we're in previews yeah, this yeah. evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, previews and, really, and then... No, go ahead. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Go right ahead. No, I was just going to say that um, I saw you like you're in a couple of Zoom dialogues um, and there's a film collaboration with um, uh, the Berkeley Art Museum Pacific Film Archive, and that's this weekend. And then you've got the play happening in New York. I think it just ended. And, and I'm like, what? Like, what? Like, yes. okay, Don, just tell yes. us what you've been up to. Like, you could just, oh. I don't have to ask you any questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, I hope we do get the chance to talk. It's always wonderful talking with you, Wanda be it on the radio or just in person, I have to say that. But I am uh, grateful to have uh, work and opportunity at a time like this when we need the arts, when we need creative voices in the space and and wonderful stories being told. By the way, I, I loved your last interview listening to uh, the, the Memra brother. That was wonderful to hear some of his comments, especially about how we walk in life with uh, these fears and how it informs us. And it just, uh, it resonates because as an artist, we have to, to walk in fear often um, and, and break through it, work through it, um, use it, you know, in, in many ways, uh, what he was saying is directly related to some of the things that we have to work through um, in our craft. And uh, I'm right now, in, in response to your question, uh, just blessed to be a part of this uh, bicoastal work by Kathleen Collins, this phenomenal woman whose work has been buried for years for many reasons, um, and to be able to uh, give life and bring life to the multiple women who uh, whose voices need to be heard, whose stories need to be heard, and as you spoke to earlier, saying that there are people who don't get the opportunity to tell their stories, this woman has written, uh, given the uh, black woman an opportunity to be seen as a, uh, a human being, which I really appreciate, as a, a complex being and not just um, the the old stereotypical uh, <laughs> uh trauma porn character who is uh, here to deliver a story just out of our suffering 
you know, there's multiple layers to our humanity. And Kathleen Collins gives voice and life and beauty and song and structure and complications and, and throws it all in the mix. And I get to run around in that world. And her daughter has released this piece to us at Oakland Ensemble Theater. We are working with Issa Davis, Angela Davis's niece, uh, with a New York collaboration. The Bampa Film Festival at, through Berkeley is a wonderful collabor- collaboration, and Surette Scott has also given her blessing and, and her voice to uh, this piece. It is a whirlwind of riches, of riches and richness, and I'm, I'm grateful. Mm, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm, I'm just like, I am so excited, um, you know, to to see the film, uh, to see the play, to watch, you know, you and others in conversation with one another about the work. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about, about Kathleen Collins? Um, I mean, she's, she's a filmmaker um, uh, and also... A playwright and and like yeah. I don't know her, I don't I don't know her and and her work is supposed to be you know the um, the play the the film that we're going to be seeing um, is you know is like you know had major impact on you know on the industry but you know like we don't know her how do you know her right <laughs> um, I actually do know her from Losing Ground but didn't know okay. her you know what mm. I mean I. I, I realized I saw her film years ago, but didn't realize the, that she had done more than just losing ground and, and that her work as a young person watching the film, I didn't understand um, all of the complexities of what it is to live in the shadow of um, a husband who has uh, recognition and just being a wife. I was too young, you know, to understand it. And, um, it's interesting to return to her and last year be introduced to her her work as a writer uh, beyond just being a filmmaker. She was an activist. She grew up in a town in uh, southern Jersey that was one of the uh, the oldest like integrated communities in the country and mm-hmm. um, has has a story that is phenomenal. She, you know, studied here in the States, then went to France to study, uh, fell into film in France, fell in love with film in France, came back with this admiration, knowledge, wealth, and and um, advocacy because she was a civil rights ad- activist as well and, and worked on campaigns here in the States during the civil rights movement. Um, and I am truly surprised that we don't know more about her work world and, and um, writings from that period in which I'm still discovering. Um, after speaking with Surette Scott, who calls Kathleen Kathy, um, and, and watching many interviews, she was called Kathy. Um, the, the woman was a force. She um, stood... She stood on her laurels and trusted her instinct uh, at a time when it was more difficult than it it would be for you or I um, because the world did not see her 
did not recognize nor appreciate her. And and we we get moments of that now. You know, we still got a long way to go. But Kathleen uh, struggled through so many uh, ad- adversities and was still such a light um, that I I I think I'm wrestling with the strength and fortitude that you have to have to go through a war. Um, you know, armor up, be at the ready. And intellectually, she brilliant, brilliant woman. And and to not be recognized as a brilliant being while you're still uh, in those shoes, alive, thriving, um, must have been something uh, difficult. And if you read some of the uh, diary entries from her black woman's diary, uh, notes from a black woman's diary, you hear her struggle as a as a woman, um, as a wife, as a as a mother. As you know, it the list goes on. But when you see and hear her, she is art itself. In, in all of its complexities, richness, and beauty. And I, I'm in love with her now, and I'm going to continue to study, follow, and find Kathleen Collins uh, and celebrate her um, because she deserves, she deserves it uh, now and certainly then. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm still discovering her, Wanda, but I'm so glad that uh, th- this piece was uh, brought to us and we were honored uh, with the, you know, premiere, West Coast premiere of uh, Begin to Begin. So Oakland Theater Project is happy and thrilled to be a part of it, <laughs> but we are also in, we are also in the, uh, we're in the fight to make sure that her stories are, are presented. You know, this, this was a quest to bring her work here. So really happy mm-hmm. about that. Right, yeah, and that is so that is so in keeping with um, Oakland Theater Project, and I keep on wanting to say Ubuntu, but it's Ubuntu still in spirit, <laughs> like for sure. <laughs> very, true. very true. I slip up and say Ubuntu a lot as well, you know. So well, I, I'm I, always I'm really thinking Ubuntu. <laughs> <laughs> Ubuntu Oakland Theater Project. It, yeah, it was um, the it was intentionally. Uh, brought in. John Wilkins, our literary manager, uh, said this is a work that that this company needs to do. Michael read it. Michael Moran, our artistic director, um, said, oh my God, of course we need to do this. And so grateful. And, and it's it ain't easy. It is not easy work. She's, she makes you do the work. And that's the kind of uh, job I I I long for because it's more than just a, a song and dance. It's actual um, excavation of uh, spirit and soul and and uh, fear and uh, so many things that we as human beings go through. And and add on top of that the absurdities that we as Black women have to live through and and basically um, normalize. Because right. it is, you know, it is, it is something that is practiced without um, forethought. It is something that is on us 
on our bodies, on our spirits, without any um, conscious consciousness at, at awareness, it, it seems, and and sometimes the, even if there is an awareness, there is a complete lack of seeing one's humanity in the space other than uh, their own. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. when it comes to how a black woman is being dealt with. So I I love this kind of work, exploring it, talking <laughs> about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it kind of fits with your training as well. I mean, you have a BA in psychology. <laughs> I mean, an MA in theater, but your first first degree is psychology. Yeah. So it's like, you know, like you, you know, you've got some, you've got a skill set where you've got the language and and the tools to be able to like really delve deeply within something. I mean, even people who are not necessarily you know, trained in in you know psychic kind of awareness. You know, like exploring the psyche. Um, yeah, yeah. Theater kind of like, you know, as we mentioned earlier, it makes you do that kind of work. I mean, you know, in the what? practice of, of theater, you know, drama, <laughs> you know, Say if it. you're good, then you have to wear a different persona. You've got to know how to rid yourself of that energy once the, you Ooh. know, the curtains come down. Like, but sometimes you can, and it's like living with you forever, <laughs> depending yeah, on what yeah. it was or who it was. <laughs> what? Yeah, you know, Wanda, that is so interesting. We talk about um, artists as artists. We talk about that all the time. And and I've come to practice rituals now to protect my my being um, because as a vessel, um, you know, I walked into. I was doing a show last year um, that was very uh, much rooted in historical oppression, and uh, it was through this this gaze of. Uh, in a way that had never been performed. Like I, I was playing all these male characters um, as a black woman, still though, who inhabited the roles. And uh, I walked into this healer's space a sound uh, for a sound bath. And during the sound bath, Wanda, he recognized that one of my chakras was ringing louder than any other space and he he spoke to it and and said you know there is something here that you need to make sure you're protecting and I hadn't talked to him about anything he didn't know me uh didn't know my last name he didn't know me at all and uh, he said there are doors that are opening from history that you need to protect yourself from as you walk into it (laughs) and it really um opened up more than just that chakra it really reminded me protect 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 although i am making myself available to these uh beings and these bodies and and broken broken spirits and histories yes we as artists always need to make sure we protect ourselves so that when we walk away we can still walk away healthy not not um traumatized and it's an interesting conversation. You you bring that up, Wanda. There's so many um, black stories in particular um, that play our joy. And so, where do we get to rest as a as an as a black artist? Because we walk in the world and suffer, and then walk on stage and further display those sufferings, those traumas, those 
real experiences and there's no rest. So I I have rituals that I do to protect my soul, my mind. And um, speaking of my degree in psychology, I watched, witnessed, and grew up with an older sibling who struggled with, um, she suffered from schizophrenia and bipolar, manic depressive, and the world did not call it those things because she was a black woman and wasn't diagnosed with it. She was diagnosed as angry. She was diagnosed as um, by by religion. I'm not going to say by by the church, but some somewhat the church as well. But by religion, she was possessed. And instead of addressing the real thing that was going on, we attacked. Um, I feel she was attacked, and I sat and watched my oldest oldest sister be attacked, traumatized, further traumatized, uh, and not her her illness wasn't served her illness wasn't nurtured uh recognized until late in life and uh that is that is why i went into uh study the mind because i could not believe what was happening to her but nor could i believe what people were doing who who were supposed to love her you know how she was treated so i i um not only protect my my being because of the craft i also protect my being because i know this world although it is a a beautiful landscape and opportunity for us to exist together we often miss it and simply practice um pain on on one another you know so i have Mm -hmm. to protect me right yeah and then there and then there's you know the fear too that's projected Woo! Come on now, come on now. Yeah, and and uh, that, I think that and Wanda, you can attest to this, but I think that's there's different levels of fear as well. You know, mm-hmm. um, I run towards fear now. I, I when something scares me, I, I start to get excited. Um, this year, this past year though, has uh, uh, I've kind of forgotten that, and I'm running back towards it again. But because uh, I had different fears, you know. Uh, I did have family members that got sick with COVID. I lost a family member, and uh, the the real threat of the end of life uh, was really present. And, um, yeah, that that's something I, I didn't know how to run towards, so... I I was out of practice returning to the world of of performance and it's interesting it's also strange walking into a space and not performing alone. I'm with other people right now. This is phenomenal, but also yeah. a, a, a you know a return to um collaboration and and being in the space with other uh other people breathing and and uh, you know are we masking are we are we all vaccinated you know the the questions so there's a new fear that comes with with uh this reentry into uh the world but i will say Oakland Theater Project is uh, Michael Moran is really uh just wonderful at his his work and he's just even more wonderful at at being um the the best 
human being he can be, so he's thoughtful and considerate and uh, really practices making sure we're taken care of. So I feel, I feel better. I feel taken care of. It's, um, so some of the fears have dissipated, but, yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to remember the muscle of running into fear because it's, it's going to gift me with something in the end. And I've learned that at the at the darkest moments in my life that those things that I fear also feed me. Right. Also wow, can feed that's so me. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to um tell our audience a little bit more about you. I mean, they can read this in in the program, but <laughs> I want to mention that did I mention that you have over 20 years of experience in the Bay Area and New York uh in as a theater artist, um, and you've been in some great plays. Um, your off-Broadway credits include uh, As Much As I Can, uh, Patrice, Brothers Paranormal, uh, uh, Adelia, Delilah, um, and Anne Gables. How do you pronounce it? Is it Adelia? It's Delia. Delia, oh, thank you. Delia and uh, by Prince Gomez and directed by Jeff Liu. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Anna Green Gables. Then, uh, mm-hmm. No, go ahead. And Moby Dick, which started here in Berkeley, rep yeah. with the same yeah. team that did uh, the Great Comet, and we that was the, mm. one of the last shows that I closed down before uh, COVID. Well, I was actually about to do a tour. Uh, with mm. as much as I can, but had just closed Moby Dick and jumped right into the other one before the tour. And the mm. two days before the tour, we shut down. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And here in the Bay Area, you know, home is uh, Oakland Theater Project and, and the works I've done here. But I, tr- I literally, I, I call Theater Works uh, campus, you know, my school because I I had so many shows down there. I've worked mm-hmm. here in Berkeley at uh, Cal Shakes. I've done ground floor Berkeley rep and um, worked with Shotgun and so many Bay Area uh, theater companies. I'm not going to remember them all at the moment, but yes, <laughs> uh, blessed, to, blessed to be an artist. And I've done a lot of film work, too. Um, I'm getting back mm. into film work, you know. Started years ago and... Uh, Worked with Robin Williams, did an ABC pilot, and now jumping back mm-hmm. into film and television. It's exciting. I have a film coming out uh, next month on NBC with a black director out of New York called Twice mm-hmm. as Good. And uh, there's, I'm writing Wanda. I am mm-hmm. still singing, and I am still teaching, which is one of the things that I've loved doing uh, for many, many years. Uh, you know, they say plant your seed under the tree in which you do not expect to get shade from. And and I am continually blessed by my students. It is the greatest gift to be fed um, unexpectedly by their their greatness and their calls and their 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 questions and um, their relationships. I still have so many kids who are my my other sons and daughters aside from my son and my stepdaughter and whatnot. So yeah, yeah, doing doing a lot and, and loving every minute of it. I, f- I feel that creation and creating um, can give us life and last year um, proved it to myself because that's what I did a lot of. I wrote a feature film, I worked on a pilot, I continued to act on, on screen, um, uh, did some recording. I did a commercial. Yeah, I, I created last year 
a lot, a lot. So it sounds that's, like that's, it. So, so how do people like find out where this film Twice is Good? Like how they can see that and listen to your new CD or not new? Maybe it's a year old or something and see, you know, this this feature film. Like how do people stay in touch with you and keep up with you? Um, <laughs> you know, the the best way to keep up with me is on my Instagram and Dawn okay. LT is where I I announce and, and uh, put out all the information. I just literally did finish some studio time this week with uh, Cellista, uh, who is this wonderful cell- Bay Area cellist, who is uh, creating a beautiful work with women and Pariah. It's coming out soon. Um, you'll see that. You'll see Twice as Good and my conversation about that. But you'll also mainly see Begin, begin the Begin, uh, which is what yeah. we're currently working on and uh, want to everybody mm-hmm. to come out and see and experience. And the drive-in part, I, I said yes. this in something, the drive-in, I I experienced it when I arrived back in the Bay with Wasteland. Oh, God, with Lisa Ramirez, the force. Um, watching, <laughs> yes. watching she that. She is a force she, for sure, isn't she? Let's just pause for a moment and breathe that. Breathe on that one. Come on now, yes. say it. Yes, she okay, is together. A one, two, three, force. inhale. And release, my God, Lisa, that's my sister, and I love, love, love. She's one of my favorite, she's one of my favorite writers, and I have seen her perform from East Coast to West Coast, and Lisa never fails to, to, oh, oh my God, to live in every moment. There's never an opportunity on stage that she's not existing at her fullest it's amazing to witness and and watch. I love love watching her. She does not let up. So you, it's relentless. And um, I'm I'm so happy to call her sister, friend, um, and and also watch and and uh, learn from her work. My God, she's also our co-artistic director, which is <laughs> something to say. Come on now. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. So, um, so tell folks how you know, like it's the uh, the total running time is hour, and uh, this weekend, uh, tonight and tomorrow, um, you pay what you can, and Sunday is opening night. All the performances, I believe, are eight o'clock, and they run Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, through through uh, July third at um, the Flax Building. Um, near downtown Oakland. Um, oh, May twentieth yeah, through uh, July third. It's a ninety-minute mm-hmm. show, and oh, they drive oh. in. Yeah, it's it's not very long, and it's it moves very quickly from act to act to act. I mean, there's four acts, so um, you'll get to see a lot of of Kathleen Collins' uh, brilliance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the Oakland Theater Project at Flax. Art and Design Building is um, fifteen oh one Martin Luther King Jr. Way, and um, and tickets are twenty five to fifty dollars online. Additional pay what you can tickets are available. There are no door sales online only at Oakland Theater with E R Project dot O R G forward slash B E G I N, or you can call. Yeah, somebody's gonna answer the phone. Isn't that crazy? Five one zero. 
646-1126. Let me do that again because, you know, no, I know you. you don't believe me. Thank 510-646-1126. <laughs> Love it, Wanda. Yeah. And then Wanda, also, thank you so um, much. is there a live streaming um, component to the drive-in um, for all of the plays or this one? And how is that working? So uh, we will be live streaming this piece, and uh, to be honest with you, I I believe it is June nineteenth. Uh, significant yes, date, that's right? Right? Yeah, June nineteenth. Um, yes, <laughs> June We will be live streaming. Let's tell a story, and let's use the the time and space to help create that world. So we will be um, live streaming on the nineteenth, and I believe that will be available for. It will also be available for some time after that. Um, yeah, for three and you weeks. Purchase, yes, you can purchase that at the same Oakland Theater Project dot org. Um, and right, and, and, that's, we, and that starts at fifteen dollars as opposed to um, it's fifteen through twenty five. Um, yes, as opposed to um, as opposed to twenty five to fifty um, live in your car. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Drive in. Yeah. Um, this is. A, a wonderful experience sitting out there in the car watching as well. It, it truly mm-hmm. is. It's still really intimate. And even though the bodies are outside the car, our voices and, and our spirits are in the car with you. It's, it's mm-hmm. such an incredible, like I said, watching Lisa do it, it was such an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. She, she, yeah, she, yeah. You're so touched. Mm-hmm. Moved. Yeah, yeah, it's different than a movie, um, seeing a play in a drive-in. It's it's, it's really, really kind of magical, you know. It's, it's... <laughs> it really is. So, so it did take me back to those days, Wanda, when we would go to the Oakland Coliseum to watch movies in the car. My parents had seven kids. So come on now. And both of both of us <laughs> putting all of us in the back of the station wagon. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, my God, I can't believe it. But, yeah, it took me back to those days. <laughs> right, nice. Well, I wanted to um I wanna let you um you know, do a shout out to the other members of the cast. Um, my other guests are in the studio but I want you to oh, like mention yes. their names. There is a wonderful cast on stage with me, uh Leon Thomas, uh uh Margarita Ventura, uh Benoit oh uh, I'm losing Benoit's last name and uh Kimberly as well, we have an, a phenomenal yeah, Kimberly, group of artists. Kimberly Daniels, and I don't know how to pronounce Benoit's last name, but it's M O N I N. Monin, Monin. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, to return to the space with other artists. This is the group. Come on, I'm so happy, <laughs> so happy to be in the space with them. Sorry, sorry, I forgot their last names, but yeah, uh, wonderful people to come back to. Uh, working in an ensemble environment with, and they are ridiculously uh, talented, ridiculously talented. So, <laughs> they, no one will be cool. disappointed. Oh no, not not at all, Don. Um, everything I've ever seen at um, Oakland Theater um, Project, you know, formerly Ubuntu Theater. <laughs> Um, project um, has always been like simply fabulous enough to like want to go back and see it again and I don't have time for that but I make time to do it <laughs> so that so says something about that. the caliber of story and and artistry 
<laughs> yes, yes. And I can attest to that, Wanda, because I, I get to see you at those return visits when you've come back. I love that. Love it. Love having you around. Love talking to you. And it's so powerful. And I'm so glad that you are still on the air in the Bay Area telling our stories and speaking to our community. Thank you so much, Wanda. Oh, thank you, Don. You take good care. See you this weekend. All righty. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Peace and blessings. <laughs> uh, good morning, Kevin and uh, Tanika. How are you both? Good morning. Good morning. Congratulations, Kevin, on another world premiere at Theater Rhinoceros. Yeah. Pillow talk. <laughs> pillow talk. Like, we know what pillow talk is. We might not have known about the legend of pink. That was kind of mysterious. But pillow talk, mm, love story. Sex. Yeah, <laughs> Intimacy, you know, it's all about intimacy. Yeah, intimacy. Yeah. Mm. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. It's been a minute, you know, Kevin, that I've had you on the air, and then uh, Tanika Baptiste. Wow, how long has it been? It's been years, huh? Yeah, it's been a wow. I think 2019. Oh, not that long. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not, not too long ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, Pillow Talk is going to be a virtual experience. Um, and and when's it going up? At a it's theater around right June 11th. Uh, mhm. It's going to go until June 20th. It's going to be on Zoom. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are you excited, Kevin? I am. I'm kind of nervous. Kind of excited. I'm going to. See what happens. I've never seen a Zoom movie, a Zoom play. I mean, so I'm kind of, you know, like excited. Like Tanika is very creative, and she has all these ideas, and so I'm kind of waiting to see how everything comes together. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Tanika, um, are you familiar with Kevin's work? I mean, did you see uh, The Legend of Pink? That was so awesome. I think I went twice. <laughs> wow. I I was I had not I think I had not been in the Bay Area just yet, but mm-hmm. um, yeah I I mean Legend of Pink unfortunately I didn't get a chance to see it but reading Pillow Talk the first, uh, when John Fisher artistic director of the Rhinoceros sent me the script I could not mm-hmm. stop reading it I just I was like oh my God, who is this person <laughs> and what is like because even you know even as an actor you don't really get a lot of scripts that are just so visceral and, like, real, like mm-hmm. Pillow Talk is. And so I was immediately fascinated with Kevin. I wanted to know who he was, and I was like, hell, yeah, I, wanted, I want to participate in this production. So, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, I got a chance to read uh, an earlier version of Pillow Talk, and, and when Kevin told me, you know, that of, of the uh, – the new version <laughs> that um, that is going up on the 11th. I'm like, oh, really? You took out you took out that character? Like, really? Like, how how is it a play now? <laughs> like, where is it? Right. You took out the character that is like he's the one that makes stuff go on. Like, hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's like. 
Um, but but you you know the one you know this version. You don't know the one that I know. And, exactly. Uh, and then I, I, I'm, I yeah. I'm intentionally yeah, talk about not. That. I know it. I don't want to know. I'm like I just this isn't the version I have now. Is like I don't want to know what was. What actually happened? Like this, <laughs> this, I'm protecting myself. So, like, after we open, I'm like, okay, I'll go back. And, like, Kevin, send me, please send me a copy. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, the love interest, you know, uh, maybe, I don't know how much of, of the story you want to tell. So, um, let me, much. let Not me, let me, yeah, so. Yeah, tell tell us tell our audience, Kevin, what you want them to know about the work. Okay, I wanted to talk about intimacy between black men, and so you have this title, Pillow Talk, and the play about black men, and that, that already is kind of a it goes against our imagination of what black manhood is, and then mm-hmm. about intimacy, of course, that does as well. So that is the main thing I wanted to tell everyone. But, I mean, you can still discuss it your way. You know, that's, that's just the main thing I want to put out there. Okay. And and then, Tanika, what would you say to add to what Kevin said? Oh, wow. Um, this piece, I really – so, first of all, I'm a fan. I love the Bay Area. I love the the legacy and the history. And so I mm-hmm. that what I think Kevin did brilliantly with it is just show you two black men uh, – their experience, you know, one, they come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, and one of them is just fascinated with this, like, underground subculture, and the other one is, doesn't realize that they are too, and they, and they participate in it, but they're, like, they're, like, ashamed about it, so I love that it's about, like, acceptance of self, community, um, and just shedding light on things that we don't really want to talk about, or maybe we didn't know about, um, yeah, it's it's it gets deep. It's like it's to me. It's like a it's like a love story, but it's also a real story. You know, I, I gravitate towards pieces that are act like you don't need an MFA to tell this story. This is an actual lived experience, and so that I hope when people come see our show, they're like, wow, like damn, they went there. Yep, we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted I wanted to um write this story that I wish some someone had written for me when I was like 28, you know? Mm-hmm. Kind of um you know, you know, like like what I wish I would have had to talk about when I was 28. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of my one of my things. Yeah, yeah. And and that that's that's really wonderful, you know, Kevin, that you are writing the stories that you don't see. Um, because you're right. There there are so many young people who are looking for their stories and maybe don't have the skill set to actually write a play that gets produced. I mean, there are a lot of writers. There's some great writers. There's some just like great artists in other genre that we never know because they just don't get that break. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, for those that actually like, you know, Kevin, Theater Rhinoceros, um, you know, likes you. <laughs> so, you know, for you to be able to tell these stories that have a regional context, I mean, place is so much a part of the work that you do. You know, in The Legend of Pink, it was about, you know, a particular era. Uh, it was a, t- a time, you know, when things were 
um, being unsettled, you know, in in this country. And 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 but the community that you focused on was not necessarily a story that we heard about, you know, in the '60s. We heard other stories, but we didn't hear this story. And similarly, you know, this this story of you know black male intimacy. Um, I can't I can't even imagine, and, and I don't I don't know everything, but I, I I don't know that I've seen you know that many uh, right. plays about this, about, you know, black men being tender and loving toward one another, protective, <laughs> you know, just, you know, like a good a good story. <laughs> you know, nobody's getting killed. <laughs> and Pink someone got killed. No, I'm talking about this one. <laughs> oh, I know, I've been funny. What am I just again? <laughs> um, <laughs> with, with me and my Kevin? jokes, right? Huh? Oh, me and my jokes. Oh, right. Oh, that's a joke. Okay. <laughs> All right, got it. Yeah. I think Kevin, you can even break that up. I think there's a line. I think who says it? I think Tex says that in the play about they'd rather us, you know, be fighting and killing each other than loving one another. Oh. Yeah. They're more. Wow. It's, it's very true. <laughs> it's very, It's more like, uh, you know, it's realer or it's, it's more acceptable for you to, you to see two black men at odds and at war with one another than, mm-hmm. than like being there for each other like in an intimate way or whatever way just like not hurting one another mm-hmm. can we just not hurt each other <laughs> yeah 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 can we you know that's a good question can we not hurt each other um yeah so Tanika um you know you um you are not a stranger to theater rhinoceros uh this is your third virtual production. <laughs> Prior um, round of director credits include The Review or How to Eat Your Opposition. What a great name. What a great title. And At the Wake of a Dead Drag Queen. At the Wake of a Dead Drag Queen. How cool is that? <laughs> uh, you originally hail from San Diego, and you work as director, producer, actor, and vocalist. You have a great website. You are so beautiful as well. I mean, your picture is like, oh my gosh, she is so gorgeous. Um, yeah, and you, <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. And you work uh, in both San Francisco Bay Area and San Diego. So you are going back and forth up the coast? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, now, you know, because of COVID, it's so easy to, like, kind of tap into my hometown because everything is pretty much virtual. But um, I was doing that for a bit uh, prior, mm-hmm. like, just going home and, like, producing with my friends. We call each other Babs because we're all Libras. <laughs> and we're all oh, women. really? Yeah, we're just, like, yeah, those are my, my, my two friends, uh, Carla uh, De Jesus and Tamara Harper-Page, and we just mm-hmm. put on things, and we had a, yeah, so I, I try to stay connected, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh yeah, my, my younger daughter is a Libra and my father was a Libra. I think Libras rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I also think that Aquarians rock too. Kevin's Aquarian, oh, yeah. my brother's an Aquarian. Okay. Yeah, like and then I I'm am. a Gemini, so you know, I sit between, you know, the, oh, the water Lord, and, and the I air. <laughs> yeah, no, I love Gemini. You all are great. Kevin, are you Aquarius? Yeah. Big pardon? Are you an Aquarius? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh-oh. 
Uh-oh. No, that's good. That's good. <laughs> no, you're Sorry. brilliant, Kevin. You are brilliant. Aquarians are brilliant. Libras are brilliant. And Geminis are brilliant. You know, we just we just rock like that. Well, we're brilliant. Anyway. Uh, well, that's what that is, you know. <laughs> but yeah. he's super creative, too, by the way. He's super creative. You know, when we have these rehearsals, and she talks about all these ideas, and she has to... Um, and know how to do them with all the technology and stuff. And I'm just impressed. I just sit there impressed at the meetings and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> yeah. We're going to come back to that, um, you know, the other members of, of the cast and production artists. Um, so, uh, Tanika, you performed and directed with Lorraine Hansberry Theater, La Jala Playhouse, San Diego Rep. Berkeley Repertory Theater, the Old Globe, American Conservatory Theater, and the Virginary Theater. And again, your website is TanikaBaptiste.com and B-A-P-T-I-S-T-E, just in case you don't know how to spell it, and T-A-N-I-K-A, Tanika, just in case you didn't know that it was an N. Just make sure (laughs) you can find her. If you want to stay connected, just look at that pretty picture that pops up when you open her Uh (laughs) website. You and know what, Kevin? My, um, yeah. No, go ahead, Tanika. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, finish your thought. Go ahead. We're we're curious. No, no, it was it was something narcissistic. No, it, it, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Kevin is an artist writer from the Bay Area. Kevin is my friend. Um, yeah, we go way back, like really, really, really far back. You know, before he was a writer, before he was a curator, when he was working for the Port of Oakland as an engineer and just wanting to be an artist <laughs> and writing poetry. Um, anyway, Kevin's writings have appeared in such academic journals as the Journal of Human and Civil Rights, Media, Ethics, and Transitions. His essays have appeared in Street Spirit and the San Francisco Bayview newspaper. He has curated many shows that have gone to New York and Atlanta, including... Um, Barbara, Black Artist, um, and Expressions of Father, and I Am San Francisco. So, again, welcome, welcome. So so who are the men that are portraying these two characters um, in this pillow talk um, that's getting ready to have its world premiere? Well, our baby boy is Devin Cunningham, and he is originally from Oakland, and he's actually relocated to Savannah, Georgia. And mm-hmm. our Chuck is uh, Mr. Ramon Thomas, who actually was um, – he's based in L.A. And he – I mean, he's just – they're both brilliant art- artists. Ramon was on the a national tour of Memphis as Delray. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they – I mean, they're just – I, it's coincidentally though we were having a tough time casting Chuck, and my roommate uh, Jordan Olivier Gorday stepped in a few rehearsals, and Jordan actually had recommended uh, Ramon to me, and at first Ramon was not available, and I, but when he um, gave me his like information all that I was like oh my god he would be perfect, so um, Jordan was actually <laughs> going to do the role, but then Ramon. Uh, it was like, oh, I'm actually available, and my roommate completely understands, you know, show business, whatever. And we both we have another project that we're working on. So, um, yeah, Ramon just came in, saved the day. Um, mm-hmm. They're just, it's just such a, a 
blessing to work with them both. And, I mean, Devin, he completely understands baby boy. Like, he's, he, I mean, he just is baby boy. I don't know how to say it. Being born here, being a queer, queer black male, um, he just he just gets it. And Ramon, he is originally from um, D.C. area. And so the research that he does to understand, like, uh, Chuck, like, being this San Francisco uh, raised black man and becoming a police chief, like, he, it, it's just, it's insane, like, the, the level of talent and artistry that they both bring. Mm-hmm. And I, they keep me on my toes. Like, I'm like, okay, oof, let me make sure I know what I'm saying when we come into this room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. brilliant, exquisite artist. And, and we do have those discussions too about a lot of issues in the play, a lot of you know the intimacy issues and other stuff. So we do have those mm-hmm. com- those conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you think about um, you know you you wrote the characters, Kevin? Um, but how do you how do you think about um, these actors? Um, like breathing life because you write it one way on the page, but then they they live it the way they live it. So, what do you think about how they embody these characters and how uh, Tanika is direction of of the work? What do you think? You know, I love it. I love the way they mm-hmm. um, bring the character off the page. But for me, it's just black and white on the pa- on paper. And mm-hmm. so then, when they actually perform the characters. It, it becomes real, and that is where for me the excitement is. The fun is, you know, the fun is watching with how they interpret it, watching what they do with it, and then I get I get to um, have my own show. Does that make sense? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, nice. <laughs> so I, I like it when I like it when they come with something that I wasn't expecting or wasn't thinking about. Or even if it's totally mm-hmm. different than what I was thinking about, you know, I, I like that because, like I said, I get a surprise from that. Because I, like I joke all, all the time, I'm bored with the play, and I'm bored with mm-hmm. myself, you know. So they entertain me now. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah. So how is it for you, Tanika, um, directing so many plays? Um, you know, as a woman, um, you know these these the play it's about men. So yeah. so how do you how do you how do you address that um, as as a director? Um, and then also, I, I heard you didn't like one of the characters. So who was that, and what happened? Like, how did you? I didn't. I never knew directors don't like characters. I'm like, wow. What do you do with that when you got hired and you want to keep the check, right? Like, hmm? you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I should be so vocal about that, but because, like, I just feel like, let's just be real. Like, Chuck, I was, I, he, yes, he has redemp- redemptive qualities as towards the end of the play for me, but I'm like, mm-hmm. why are you, this baby, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, baby boy is definitely hard on, hard on his, you know, things are not going well for him in life, and you have an opportunity to help, to truly help somebody do better. And it just took, you're not doing that to the very, towards the end of the play. And that's, you know, that's, that's a traffic culture, a culture that is exploited. 
you know, and you are one person who has such status in society and you could do so much to help this person and and you're not. You're just taking advantage. Um, you're making sure your your needs get met and then you, you have a voila moment. Oh, yeah, maybe I should help this person out. I do have a resource in that and uh, things I can help, opportunities for them. So that's, that's the reason why I didn't like Chuck at first because I'm like, okay, help him. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, yeah. And I also I had I don't I have not read the fuller piece, so that's probably why like like just the context like maybe Chuck is there's other things I just don't know and I'm I'm choosing not to know because I just want to stay uh, connected to pillow talk, but yeah that's that's the only reason why I didn't like Chuck. But um, as far as being a woman and directing this piece mm-hmm. in particular, and Kevin and I were talking about this yesterday, and I was just like. How there's the intersectionality with me and these characters, this piece, is that, you know, I'm black, I'm queer, but mm-hmm. I'm also a woman. So that's that's a huge di- difference. And that's why I welcome uh, Kevin into our space every single time we have a rehearsal, every single time. Most directors would be, like, so guarded and, like, you know, have a, you don't want people there or whatever. No, I need Kevin there because um, we all we kind of rely on on him to like. First of all, he wrote it. Second of all, he <laughs> you know him himself he can relate to these two black men in these roles, and um, and I you know it's about collaboration. And I think a lot of directors like some a lot of times people say I know I went to this school and I can do this and I can direct anything. But do you actually know what these people have gone through? No, you don't. And I can be humble and know, stay in my lane and know I'll, I cannot 100% relate to the black queer male experience. And if I have an opportunity for the playwright who who is, like, on board to, like, help us, heck, yeah. Heck, yeah. So that's that's kind of, like, how I filled in the gaps with that. Like, you know, I, I, I don't – I'm a – I like to make it, like, teamwork. It's a, it's a collaboration. So, yeah, that's – I, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that Kevin was on board and he's like, oh, my God, what y'all need me for now? <laughs> like, no, like, he, he gets it, and and I get it, you know. Um, I could direct a, an, an Asian story. I'm not, I don't, I don't, I have not lived that experience. So I'm going to bring people in the room who know what is really going on. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you, so how how are you translating this uh, experience uh, in a virtual medium? I know each time I see a play uh, virtually, it just sort of depends on 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 yeah. the company as to what how it is. And I've seen some really 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 good productions. The last one I saw was um, was on Motherhood, and it was at um, the uh, Alterina. Uh, playhouse here in Alameda, and it was outstanding. Last week, last mm. Friday, uh, was last Friday Saturday. Really, really, really good. Um, no, 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 just one day, last Friday. Um, yeah. So, how? What are you all doing? How? How are you sort of envisioning this work in um, in an online platform? Mm-hmm. So, uh, what I realized is like. Zoom is a happy medium of theater and 
your TV. It's literally like, it's not, you can't be, it's not like you're on the theater stage and you're, mm-hmm. and there's, it's just a screen. So, um, you can, I mean, I've seen productions where folks are doing like, they got engineers controlling people's cameras and they got all these different things, which is great. And I've seen productions where they're literally like not moving. Just, <laughs> I've, you know, so for me, it's about just amplifying the text, like staying true, telling the truth, telling the truth and, and making sure the the actual words centered. It's not about what I oh how cool and creative I can be. Yes, I can be creative, but it's like, I also believe in keeping it simple. And so we, but what how I'm choosing to uh, give some sort of like ooh theatrical experience. We brought in Wesley Murphy who's doing our video music and sound. Uh, we're gonna have some cool cuts. Just of like Oakland and like the 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 times and the the soundscape, you know. Like it's I want to I want to amplify the artists that come from the Bay. Um, they they have we have a movement sequence. My my good friend down in San Diego, Wilfred uh, Paloma, is choreographing it. We're filming it tonight. But there's different ways to uh, ignite the senses what and it, it doesn't have to be like you don't need a, a pulsing strobe light you don't need heck of tech you just need to make sure that you're it's uh doing justice to the words to the piece so I've, I've definitely learned my lesson in the review i had them changing their backdrops and had camera cut color change wardrobe change like all those things and i, I stressed my actors out um and this that's not the time we don't need to do that we just need to make sure that we're telling the story so um, yeah, there there definitely be some moments like ooh that was that was interesting, but for me I leave I'm I'm led by Kevin's piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're sitting in the car, so that alone that you don't you <laughs> not doing too much you're in the car, but mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah. So so Kevin, um, what what do you think of the look of the work? Oh, we haven't done anything yet. I've just been at rehearsal, the reading and stuff. We we haven't done anything, um, or I haven't seen any any of the um, visuals yet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are you working on any um, other plays? Um, you know, set in Oakland. I I just thought it was really uh, the idea that one of the characters, Chuck, is a policeman. I'm like, really. Thank you, Wanda, for destroying the story. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Okay. It's done. <laughs> Can't undo it. Great. Are you? I'm, and I'm curious, too. About what? About any more plays? Yeah. No. Yeah, about more plays that, yeah, because... These I really yeah. like your plays and I'm and I'm your friend, but I really I mean if I didn't I would tell you. Um but I, I really like reading your plays. They are so good. And I really wanna see what, what Pillow Talk looks like. I haven't read the new version. Um but I remember, you know, the characters, the one that's gone. Sorry to see him leave. Um and and the one that's left <laughs> and baby boy. 
Well, I, I, well, I mean, it, it works as a standalone story, though. I mean, um, because they had their mm-hmm. own thing going on, and so it it wasn't, you know, basically, you know, you, you took that one character out and then kind of reworked the dynamic between um, the, the two left, and so it became its own story. Um, yeah, so so it, it worked out as as its own story, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that it wouldn't. I'm just saying I don't know that I, I mean, I like the story. I like the, the other person, um, the bad person, um, the bad boy. Um, good boy, bad boy. Yeah, bad guy, thank you. <laughs> so I'm like, will there be enough story for me since I know the other version? So I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, Pillow Talk as it's being, having its world premiere. But yeah, what are you working on, Kevin? What other stuff you got going on? Um, I'm doing an essay right now. There's a, a, a homeless issue going on right now that I'm studying an essay on. You know, that's my mm-hmm. that's my my um, mm. major concern right now. But um, in terms of plays, um, I don't really have a play right now. A lot of plays come to my mind, and there was some I was going to do in the past. But the thing is, a lot of times when I write a play, it it it, it takes a lot of my Mental and my energy, a lot of my life. I have to live that. I'm living that life, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I um, don't want to just like get into a story, you know, halfway get into a story. I have to it'd be a story that I'm I, I'm already fully invested in, you know. And so mm-hmm. that is why I'm kind of like avoiding, um, say, uh, 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 plays right now, my own plays right now because. But when the plague gets into my head, it's not nagging me and bugging me. And um, so I want to make sure that when I do allow a play in, that it's something that I can, you know, um, get into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was wondering, um, I was thinking about, you know, we've, we've done a lot of work, you know, with underhoused and, and um, unhoused community, uh, you and I, Kevin, have done you know work around advocacy um, you know for for housing permanent housing as well as um, other kind of support services and and I think about your character baby boy and I don't know like if this is a I don't know if how, how this shows up in the new work but um, but he's a young person and mm-hmm. um, and and he is not really stable um, like you know um, like Chuck is. And and mm-hmm. you know, and, but he, you know, but he, uh, you know, he's trying to to find his footing, and and then I think about you know sort of unhoused and underhoused folks. I mean, a lot of them are young people. Some of them are older people. Um, you know, some of them have uh, have addiction um, issues or problems. Um, some of them just don't have enough money, and they they lost their housing, and they can't get their footing again. Um, we have whole families that are under and unhoused on the streets of Oakland. So I was just mm. thinking about that and thinking about the situation, you know, that baby boy finds himself in when he meets a Chuck. And I was wondering, um, you want to sort of speak to that, Kevin, and as well as you too, um, Tanika, around sort of who these people are, who are these characters? Because they're like, you know, like they're not they're not people we don't know. They're characters, but out of your imagination. But then we know people. We might be that person, right? Well, when I, well, you know, when when 
when we used to go out there to the encampments and stuff, you know, we would meet them as people, not as homeless. You know, um, mm-hmm. there's more to them than just being homeless. There's different stories, different realities, and stuff like that, and the individuals. So I think that, um, you, um, you know, you just have to keep that in mind. Just think of people as individuals who happen to be homeless, as opposed to homeless one um, broad brush of homelessness. You know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, um, baby boy, you know, I I love him. He's, like, on my heart forever. Um, there's so many ways. First of all, let's just keep it real. You can, we can be them, like you said, immediately in this Bay Area with the cost of living. You can't have one slip up. You know, we're all, like, we all have, like, two or three or four or five hustles just to make ends meet. So, um you can, and baby boy, you know, he, he mentions in the play he had a there's a learning disability that he had and it went undiagnosed. So mm-hmm. just that, you know, trying to survive as a child, as a black child, um, in an education system, California education system. Like, I've been I, I'm born and raised in San Diego, but I went to college at UC Davis, and I was completely like <laughs> uh, swept under the rug. I was just a number you know, in a system, and nobody really cares about you, you know. They're not checking in on you. Um, so it's easy to end up – there's people with advanced degrees end up homeless, end up with addictions, end up, you know, disregarded and, and just rejected by society. And um, the baby boy, he, he has this resilient spirit. He, it's probably because he's so young he doesn't really know – like all the things that can happen to him being on, on the street, and I'm 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 sure he's seen things, but like yeah, it can happen to you too. Like just that when you're young, you don't really you have this blind ignorance. Like oh, that could actually happen to me. I could end up being shot or being stabbed and killed and left in a ditch somewhere. You know, um, so that's that's him. He's so happy, but he's also like just trying to survive and tuck to me is like this man who's just constantly on edge, constantly like, you know, he's not living his truth, you know, and he's he's so prolific in his community and he's like his own worst enemy. He's like, oh, I can't be myself, but I have to, but I, I have these, I have this need. And um, I think there's a lot of people like that not just necessarily in in terms of like sexuality, just like not living their truth and having and causing anxiety on themselves because you're just not being real. And so these two people meet and they both kind of like, you know, they have this uh, passive aggressive or sometimes aggressive aggressive uh, uh, interaction with each other, but they, they influence one another, you know, baby boy is younger, but he's like, look, just be, just, you know, tell them to do this. Tell society to do this. It's okay. Be yourself. And Chuck is like, go get a job. Like, <laughs> so that, you know, they help one another along the way. Uh, you know, years ago I was a tutor at um, this elementary school, and the teacher gave me this one little boy, basically pushing the boy off on me, right? So I said, okay. 
And so mm-hmm. as I tutored the boy, I noticed that the boy could not, like, grasp some basic stuff. So then at what point he had to write something or do a clock or whatever, and he did it backwards. And I said, what? And I, so I had him ask him, make me a two. He made it backwards. Make me a five. He made it backwards. And I said, oh, my God, this boy has dyslexia. And I'd never seen it mm-hmm. before, right? You, you always hear about it, right? And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. oh, no. So I remember and the boy was, was he, he loved me. When I come to class, his eyes were widened. Mm-hmm. I would look for him, you know. Because, you know, um, I would just, you know, take time to, you know, just talk to him. And then when I discovered that, I was like, oh, my stars. You know, how do, how, I didn't know what to do. So I told the teacher after class, it's boy dyslexia. The teacher says, yeah, whatever, you know, like, this, yeah, okay, huh? Wow. And, and she didn't care. Mm-hmm. And that was why that was in my mind. So that week I went on vacation. I came back about two weeks later, and the boy was gone. So I asked mm-hmm. about the boy, and the teacher says, oh, he's gone. His mother um, took him out of my class because he's getting bad grades. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Is he in a special class for dyslexic or what? You know, I, you know. And the teacher yeah. and I was in a discussion, like no, nothing else. And so a lot of times when I'm like in the streets, you know, in West Oakland, whatever, I, I kind of wonder where is that boy, you know, because yeah. it, it was just it just kind of it, it always bothered me, you know, yeah. it was like that that the, the teacher's nonchalance, you know, and there was nothing I could do about it. Cause I knew the boy's name. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and and the thing about it, this is he's in the third, I think third or fourth grade at that point, and so mm-hmm. you know, and the boy was innocent. He was trying to learn. He was trying to get the stuff. Mm-hmm. He was really working hard, but he just couldn't grasp it. And the teacher was obviously, you know, unconcerned or even irritated with the boy. And mm-hmm. uh, so when I came in, the boy was like, you could see the boy's eyes just widen up when he saw me. As a tutor, that motivates me. That motivated me, you know. But it was sad, you know. So right. that 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 does come to my mind, and it does come to play a, a bit too. By the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then you think about all the children that are, you know, were lost, uh, you know, in in this uh, pandemic uh, arena around education. Um, you know, if the family didn't have technology, um, mm-hmm. if, if they got technology but didn't know how to use the technology, then, you know, so where are the kids? Can they concentrate? You know, do they have a special space in the home to be able to study? Like, like those are kind of things that you don't just know intuitively, um, you know, having having space for a person to be able to study, like, where people in the house are running through all the time, disrupting the educational process. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, mhm. Yeah. Wow. So back to the play. How how do people um, get tickets? Uh, what's the cost? Yeah. How how does that work? You can go on the theater rhinos. Um, hold on to me. On their website. Yeah, I went to the website, but the date's wrong. The date's wrong. Uh huh. It has uh, it has June twenty second through twentieth. Really? Hold on. Not you now. I'm looking right now. The twentieth. I'm looking right now. I'm in the press room. Where 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 should we look? In the buy tickets. On the website. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on the website too. 
Okay, yeah, just... Derek, you can go. It, I see the date, the five show, showings, and then we'll have it on demand. So you can, we'll, we're going to record probably opening night, and that uh, you can watch it um, until Sunday, June 20th, um, 1145 p.m. Oh yeah, I see it. Um, I see the uh, stream Friday, June 11th. Yeah, cause cause the um the other date is when I just um just pulled up the um the calendar um, listing for what's mm-hmm. on now. The date's not correct, um, but on the um on buying tickets is correct. So I oh, will okay. that yeah, cause Thanks. cause that's where you can read about it and you can see who the actors are. The part that I pulled up. Mm. That part of the mm-hmm. on it. The, the date's wrong. Mm-hmm. Really? Thank you. Uh huh. Yeah. So so I'm gonna unlink from that one, <laughs> and I will put yeah. the I'll put this link that um that has the uh, how you buy tickets, and then you all can fix the other, and then people can look at you know the cast and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Oh, oh no problem. Well, it's been. Oh, yeah, no problem. That's why I asked the question. Um, yeah, it's been really, really lovely uh, speaking to both of you. Uh, congratulations, Kevin, on the world premiere. Um, yeah, um, and it's it's really a pleasure to be speaking to you again, uh, uh, Tanika. I mean, oh, I'm like, wow. yeah, see your work as a director uh, here in Northern California. <laughs> On <laughs> um, my friends play like yeah, I was like oh my goodness, how cool! <laughs> no, I just, I just I just love speaking with you. Like I remember, I mean, when we did single black female and just the platform for us to just come and just you know tap in with the community. So just thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Oh yeah, and and connect me back with your work because it's been too long. Like put me back in the loop. I will. I am a fan. You are a wonderful artist. Wonderful writer. When you see me just in this play, you mm. play, you'll be a real fan for real. You'll be a big mm. fan. Well, I'm already a, a real fan. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be renewing my, my, my subscription to the fan club. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and ditto to both of you. Like, y'all, I mean, I didn't know, but now I know. I've been changed. So, yeah, I feel the same way. Kevin is the truth. Mm-hmm. He is the truth. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, Kevin, he'd be throwing down. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So maybe this one to get a Bay Area theater uh, circle, you know, um, Theater Rhinoceros, which is the longest uh, gay um uh, theater platform in is it in the country in the Bay Area? Uh, what what is it? Uh, in the in the country. In the country, yeah, yeah. Over how many years is it uh, that theater rhinoceros has been around? Oh, in the world, that's the world here. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, longest running queer theater in the world. Yeah. Um, when wow. when did it start? When did uh, theater rhinoceros start? Um, they have a 24-hour ticket hotline, 800-838-3006, um, 800-838-3006 for those that still have phones and like to use them. Um, but, um, yeah, when did the Rhinoceros start? Um, I don't know the history 
pizza line, Lord. Yeah, I don't see it. I'm looking right now for that information. I, I, it's not on here. It just says the longest running. I'm I'm thinking like 40, about 40 something. I think I saw 40 years on here somewhere. At one point. Okay, about 40 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. John Fisher is he the founder or one of the founders? I don't think he's the founder. He is the um, director right now. Yeah, but he he yeah. wasn't around forty years ago. He's young. He's too mm. young for that. Oh, he's too young. Oh, okay. <laughs> he inherited it. Okay, keeping it moving. All right. He's, he's not old enough to be. He's not. He's not old enough to be um, the founder. He's not. Yeah. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a wonderful theater. I have really enjoyed um, my experiences over the years attending plays, and particularly, you know, The Legend of Pink. Oh, my goodness. Love reading it. Love seeing it. Love the discussions afterwards. Wow, Pink, the actor who played Pink. Oh, phenomenal. Oh, my God. What was the actor's name who played Pink, Kevin? Charles Peoples. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Charles is the bomb. Oh, man, that brother is, like, multi-talented. Oh. You know you know Charles? I, he was in um, At the Wake of a Dead Drag Queen. And I oh. saw Charles. Uh, yeah, I saw I'm on stage. It was the first time I ever seen Charles. And uh, I was like, who the, who is that? <laughs> He's just incredible. He's just, like, mm-hmm. so giving artist and... Yeah. You know, for yeah, the addition of is. for the addition of Pink, he walked in the room. I said, "That's Pink." <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. No one else. <laughs> that is really nice. Yeah, he's walked in the room. I said, "That's Pink," and mm-hmm. and and yeah. DJ and just laughed. Nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, I want to thank both of you so much for for joining us today to talk about Pillow Talk, which is opening uh, June 11th through the 20th at Theater Rhinoceros. It's going to be a virtual theatrical experience that you don't want to miss, so you need to go early so you can go back and see it again, um, you know, on um, demand, as they say. (laughs) But you want to be in the house when it gets recorded so you can be there. Are you all going to have any talkbacks or anything like that connected to um, the programming? Yes. Every night we will come on to the virtual stage after the show. Oh. And, uh, yeah, we will we will be available for questions. And um, so I, I love the talkback time because just getting people's mm-hmm. perspectives. Yeah, we'll be there. Yeah. Oh, cool. Super, super. Well, I look forward to that. And, uh, yeah, see you all soon. Okay. Thank you, Wanda. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'll see you guys later. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye. Bye -bye. Peace and blessings. Bye-bye. So want to let folks know that the... um, uh, the Legacy um, Film Festival um, for older. I'm looking for my press release. I can say it correctly. Uh, Legacy. Uh, here we are. Legacy Film Festival um, is continuing uh, through Monday, 
So you have an opportunity to see these wonderful films, our Legacy Film Festival on Aging. There are 38 short, mid-length, and feature films from Australia to Sweden, Hungary to Cuba, and across the United States. Um, with immersing viewers in both the beauty and challenges of growing older. Wonderful, wonderful work, wonderful work. So you don't want to miss it. So, again, um, Legacy um, Theater, uh, Legacy, sorry, not Theater, Legacy Film Festival on Aging, and you can get tickets by going to the website, which I think is the same as the yeah, it is the same name as the festival, Legacy Film Festival on Aging dot org. Uh, tickets are eight dollars for a program and fifty dollars for all festival pass. Um, yeah, today's Friday and it's going through um, the thirty first Monday, and so yeah, you know, grab your popcorn and some friends and sit around. You know, the TV screen. Um, some of you all have like studios in your houses or studio <laughs> in the family room, and watch some of these wonderful films, particularly with younger people, because, um, uh, you know, when you think about aging, that's a great uh, conversation starter, and some of these films are phenomenal, and we see multi-generational uh, members of, you know, these cast, uh, you know, whether it's uh, most of these, if it's doc, I think most of these are documentaries, but if um, so, you know, we see, you know, fathers and daughters and uh, we see older um, adults with their children as caretakers. Um, we see elders, you know, doing some really phenomenal uh, phenomenal things, you know, when people think, oh, 80, 90, like what? Um, so anyway, it's a really, really great film festival and we had an opportunity to speak to directors and subjects as well as the um, the founder of the film festival, who was in her 80s, and she lives in San Francisco. And so the film festival is simply marvelous. And so, yeah, you don't want to miss it. And uh, San Francisco Doc Fest comes, swings into the Bay, uh, and I don't know if it's virtual or both. Uh, I think it might be virtual again. Not sure. Need to check the website for SF Indy. Um, but it kicks off with some really marvelous with a mar- really marvelous film and and you know the selection is just so outstanding. So you definitely don't want to miss SF uh Doc, which is part of the SF Indie Festival. And you know the last festival they had was looking at environmental films, which is a new um was a new um sort of direction for the SF Indie um production team, but they did really, really well, and I'm sure they're going to be continuing with that, because they have films from around the world and, uh, and about a really important, important subject. You know, we really need to think about uh, more sustainable wa- ways to, to live, you know, with other species and uh, and not do as much harm as the human species tends to do um, to other life forms. We just really don't care enough and do enough to make sure that, you know, that all life um, has an opportunity to develop in ways that um, are um, are functional as well as um, 
yeah, in ways that are functional and in ways that do not destroy other other uh, life forms' ability to to develop fully, which is what happens when we don't um, consider our choices in um, equitable ways. So what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about what am I? I was thinking about what to play in our. Oh, we only have five minutes. <laughs> so I was thinking about playing um, uh, something from Alice Coltrane, uh, and uh, yeah, I was feeling uh, journey into Satchananda, and. Uh, it's a really beautiful piece, and um, you know we sort of began began the morning with uh, with a little poetry and uh, and um, uh, brother D Docio uh, Habib talked about mindfulness and reflection and being in our in our bodies, like occupying our bodies fully and being in the moment that we're in. Don't think about other places, but just sort of like take a breath. And be here in the now, in the moment, and 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 enjoy this moment, and not let ourselves wander. So so monitoring the breath. So I'm going to invite everyone to sort of breathe through Alice Coltrane's journey into uh, Satyananda. It's such a beautiful piece. Ashe to Alice Coltrane's memory, um, and Ashe to all of our ancestors, and Ashe uh, to the memories of those who. Um, who lost their lives during this pandemic, those that are sick, we hope that they get better. And uh, in June, you know, June is like February for black people. And this this particular June, on June 19th, Juneteenth, you know, Freedom Day, uh, is the 100th anniversary of James Weldon Johnson, who is the author of, the national anthem, lift every voice and sing. And so here is uh, Alice Coltrane's journey to Satyananda. Take a breath. 